show of sexual magic is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Are you having some problems in the bedroom? Or maybe you just want to spice up your sex life. Go to AdamandEve.com and use the promo code DRINKINGBROS to get 50% off one purchase along with free shipping. Peruse the catalog with your loved one and see if anything interests you. At adamandeve.com. Promo code DRINKINGBROS gets you 50% off in free shipping. You're welcome. Also, hardafseltzer.com. Some of the finest, hardest seltzer in the land. It's 8%, so you know it's good. You'll be blacked out within an hour if you drink three of these. Or, if you're a real hombre, you can gun through a whole case. We ship right to your house in 41 states, and we're live in over 100 stores in Tennessee. Go to hardafseltzer.com today and check out the store locator. Let's start the fucking show. Just remember me, baby, when I'm in six feet of cold, cold ground. The following morning, we eat our breakfast in silence, and for the first time in forever, it does not consist of gold. Have you ever eaten eggs or pancakes without gold on them? Let me tell you, it sucks. This is the first taste of poverty in a few years, and I'm not fucking happy about it. I throw down my fork and head out, stopping only to rub the golden statue of my dead son for good luck. Riding through the town street, I notice more people staring at me than usual. I look down to see if I have forgotten to place my cock inside my jeans, which happens more often than you think. This time we're all clear. Upon closer examination, I see everyone holding the morning newspaper. The headline reads, Four-year-old boy killed from being dipped into scalding hot gold. And the article is by Ron Paulson. See what deep-dicking someone's wife will get you? Respect. Men tip their hats toward me in silence as I pull up in front of Curly's funeral parlor. When I walk inside, I'm immediately greeted by the owner, Curly, a burly 65-year-old man who sports a large, gray handlebar mustache. His name is ironic because he doesn't have a single hair on his head. This son of a bitch is also way too fucking chipper about owning a funeral parlor. How are you today, sir? He asks with a pep. Well, I'm at a goddamn funeral parlor. You? Are you looking for something for you or someone else? No, it's not for me. I'm probably going to live forever. My four-year-old son just passed away. Curly shoots a look over to a newspaper laid out next to the register. He nods and looks down, wringing his hands nervously. Yeah, I'm real sorry to hear about that. I read about it in the paper this morning. We have some nice coffins along the wall over here. I point to a small-sized one in the corner. How much for that one? One hundred dollars. That's an excellent choice for your child. Oh, (laughs) that one isn't for my child. That one is in case my dick and balls get detached or just fall off from my body from too much usage. I want my package to have a proper burial as well. Um, okay. No, my boy is going to need an adult-sized coffin. The gold obviously added a lot of extra height and width to him. I understand. The adult ones are $50 more. I go to pull some gold from my pockets when suddenly it dawns on me that I don't have any more. 
Nothing. Not even a little nugget hiding in my boot. Shit. I totally forgot that I threw the rest of it on the ground at the deed office. Panic sets in as my eyes dart around the room. I'm sorry, I don't have any gold on me right now. It's all on my son. Well, I feel really embarrassed. This is like being bald and having a name like Curly. Am I right? (laughs) Curly laughs loudly and wipes his bald head with a handkerchief trying to make me laugh. It's totally fake in cans. Following up that gem, he does a shitty little dance like he's a tiny monkey, which is also awkward and forced. As I'm watching this charade unfold, that's when two sacked plums smack me square in the chin. Holy shit. This is what polite people do to poor to make them feel comfortable. This is the kind of shit that used to happen to me before I was rich. My heart starts racing and I blurt out, I'll be back, sir. Just let me go home and get some more gold. I definitely have a lot more of it. Gold, that is. Stacks of it. I'm just grieving. I'm going to grab a drink and get my mind right. Curly takes a silver dollar out of his pocket and flips it to me. Here, the first one is on me. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. I snatch the coin out of the air and stare at it, lost in thought. Not only did someone try to cheer me up for being poor, but now he's giving me money. That's my thing. I throw money at people. Usually it's followed by laughter and the phrase, Here you go, baroque dick, or thanks, whore. <laughs> now this bald son of a bitch is treating me like a shoeshine boy? I debate throwing the coin back in his face, then pissing my surname all over the coffins, but the sad truth is, I can't, because I really want a fucking drink. Feeling completely out of my element, I catch myself bowing to him like a grateful butler before turning and quickly leaving. As I walk down Main Street, the townspeople's looks toward me seem more prevalent. Instead of thinking that everyone is looking at me for having the dead child dipped in gold, I begin to wonder if they pity me because I'm poor. Paranoia set in and I pull my hat down over my eyes as I walk toward the saloon trying not to make eye contact with anyone. Luckily, it's so early in the morning that there are not many patrons inside and I'm able to take a seat at the bar alone. I could really use a good horse sesh right now, but I'll be goddamned if I'm going to end up like one of those poor bastards who's getting an H.J. underneath a table in the open for a quarter. Manuel comes over and greets me warmly. I notice an open newspaper on the bar and I know what's coming. Sorry about your son, St. James. It's fine. I have six more and probably one on the way after last night. Just give me a shot of whiskey. He grabs a bottle into the bar and pours me a shot. Without looking at him, I take the silver dollar out and slide it across the bar. From behind me, a hand slams down on top of the coin. I immediately grab my gun and turn to see the eldest Schlager brother, Sven, standing over me with a shit-eating grin. I'm not kidding. There is actual human shit in his teeth. People eat their own shit for fun in West Virginia, which is where the phrase originated. He looks down at the silver dollar and laughs. <laughs> well, the famous St. James Street James is paying in silver. Ain't that a sight? Something happened to all your gold? Gold is overrated these days. People act like they're made out of it. Knowing I would run into the Schlagers, I came prepared. 
I pull out a small glass jar that I tucked inside my boot and slam it on top of the bar. A set of two testicles wobble around inside the jar. Sven looks at me curiously. What the fuck are those? Those are your brother's nuts. I'd ask him if he wants them back, but he's dead. Sven turns around toward a table in the back and starts counting his brothers on his fingers. He seems confused. Finally, he just yells out, Hey, we lose another brother? All of the brothers start counting one another. It's a shit show. By my estimate, there are somehow 17 Schlager brothers. The brothers have almost doubled from yesterday. Jesus, man. How many brothers do you have? As fast as our sisters can make them. The following morning, I'm awakened by the sounds of flies swarming inside a small metal bucket next to me as I lay sprawled out in the barn. The stench is so raw that I throw up within seconds. I cover my nose and look inside the bucket, seeing a stack of little chunks of gold covered in my family's shit. Sweet fucking Jesus. That wasn't a nightmare. I actually did this. I stagger down to the river, grab a bucket full of water, and rinse the remaining shit off with my fingers. There aren't a whole lot of words to express how vile and disgusting this is. When the gold is finally separated, I put the chunks inside a small leather pouch and tuck it into the pocket of my jeans. I bump into Loretta as she walks out of the house with a large basket full of laundry. Why did you sleep in the barn last night? She asks. I had some shit to sort out. I'm going into town to get the casket and post an obituary after I wash up. She stares at me suspiciously. How are you going to pay for the casket? Don't worry. I'm a man. I figured it out. Go tell Daniel I want him to come with me after I take a bath, will you? She looks at me surprised and says, Okay. After I wash the shit off me, I head over to the barn to tie a covered wagon on my steed. Daniel runs out of the house excitedly. He's wearing jeans and cowboy boots and holding his shirt like a young motherfucking me. You wanted me to come with you, Dad? Yeah. On three conditions. One, let's not be so fucking excited. We're going to pick out a casket for your dead brother, so let's ease up on the smiles. Two, start working out your pecs. Seven years old is the proper age to start getting ripped, so you should probably start an aggressive push-up routine as early as tomorrow. Three, do you know how to fire a gun? Because if not, it's time you learns. Get in. I throw him down a holster with two pistols in it. He tries to suppress his excitement as he hops up into the wagon. Normally, I wouldn't take my kid with me into town, but this time I might need an extra man on the trigger. An hour later, our wagon rolls down Main Street, and the first thing I see is a couple of drunken Schlager brothers stumbling around. They point up to me and laugh. I stop the wagon and stand up, revealing my two pearl-handled pistols. Are we fucking doing this? Who wants to get wet? The two drunken brothers immediately back down. Daniel looks shaken, but I notice his right hand tapping one of his guns. This little motherfucker is clutch, and I like his heart. Someone like Ron, his first instinct would be to hide in the covered wagon, throw a scarf on his face, and fake a British accent in a woman's voice like Mrs. Doubtfire to avoid the sitch. Not my boy. I snap the reins on my steed, and we continue riding to Curly's funeral parlor. Daniel looks up at me as we pull in. Those men look like the guys who killed totally fucking Mexico. They were. Those are the Schlager brothers. Why didn't you kill them? 
There are at least fifteen more of them. I don't want to have to put another sun in the ground for at least another year. Your mom couldn't handle that. Fuck that shit, Dad. We can take them. <laughs> I like your language. We'll have our revenge soon enough. Come on. I want to introduce you to a bald man named Curly. As we walk into the parlor, Curly greets us with a wave and rubs his head again like we're old bros. He pulls a stick of rock candy out of his pocket that is covered in lint and hands it to Daniel. What is it with old people and hard candy? They love that shit as much as magic tricks. Curly kneels down to Daniel and pinches his face. Is this your boy, St. James? No. The dead one is at home. This is another one of my kids, Daniel. Curly leans down to eye level with Daniel and says, Hey, Daniel, you want to see a magic trick? What did I tell you? Fucking magic tricks. I tell Daniel to fake a smile and go along with it because I respect old people. This guy was probably on the Mayflower or some shit, so I nudge Daniel, who looks up at him and nods eagerly. Oh, yes, sir. I'd love to see a magic trick. Okay. Watch the casket. Curly walks over to the first adult-sized casket along the wall and opens it, revealing that there's nothing inside of it. He then closes it quickly and pulls a wand out of his pocket. Abracadabra! He says as he taps it with his wands. Curly opens up the casket again, and we see a giant clown jump out, holding a live cobra. Daniel screams his face off and runs out the front door as Curly laughs. Even I don't know what the fuck to say. The clown laughs hysterically, then walks toward the back, shuffling his plastic shoes along the way. Who is that? Curly laughs and said, That's my son. He's hilarious. They grow up so fast. Hard to believe he's 49. How long has he been hiding in there? About 14 or 15 hours. Totally worth it. You should have seen your faces. <laughs> Anywho, you here for the caskets? I'm sure as fuck not here for a cobra. I'll take the two that we were talking about yesterday. I pull out my leather pouch full of gold nuggets and flip him a small chunk. Curly catches it and holds it up toward the light examining it. He looks at it suspiciously, then turns back toward me. You know, it looks like gold, but it smells like shit. Since my boy died, I hide all of my gold up my own ass. <laughs> you can't be too careful these days. Sorry. No need to apologize. My wife does the same thing with all of her jewelry after I leave the house every morning. We laugh and share a moment. Curly is a weird fucker, but I dig his spirits. Peering out from the front door, I see Daniel hiding underneath my wagon outside. Curly, will you grab my boy and load the caskets up for me? I need to head down to the printing press to give them my son's obituary to run for the funeral proceedings. Of course. Before you go... I want you to pick a card, Curly says as he pulls a deck of cards out of his suit pocket. Begrudgingly, I pull one out. Okay, got it. Put it back in the deck and remember it. I'll tell you what it was when I get back. Can't wait. I find myself with new life in my step as I head down to Ron's place of business. I'm excited to see the beating I gave him. From the street, I notice a sign on Ron's office door that says out to lunch, but I see that fat little pig shit eating a sandwich alone in the back. There's no way he'd go out to face the public for lunch after what I did to him. I knock loudly on the window to get his attention. 
I see you, Ron. Let me in or else I'll fucking drag you out into the street and beat you for all to see. When I start to unbuckle my belt, Ron bolts upright from his chair and scurries toward the door. He quivers at the sight of the sunlight. His face is more swollen than Quasimodo and the hunchback of Notre Dame. I smile at him with a I-fucked-your-wife look on my face. Hi, Ron. You look well. Can I come in? I need you to print an obituary for my dead kid. You know, the one you did nothing to help from being murdered. Okay, just please promise you won't hurt me. The only thing I can promise is that I won't fuck your wife today if you do what I ask. Now open the fucking door. Ron obliges and lets me in. He walks me to the back of the shop where his workbench is set up. Newspapers are strewn everywhere and his hands are stained with ink. It's depressing as shit in here. I bet Ron keeps a pet mouse in a shoebox and takes it out and feeds it sandwich crust while they talk about great literary works. As Ron clears some old newspapers off a chair for me to sit down in, I notice a handful of breadcrumbs under his desk. I fucking knew it. So do you have a no bit prepared, or do you want me to write something? He asks. Well, Ron, obituaries are never really prepared, but yes, I have something written down. I pull a small note out of my pocket and hand it to him. Please read this aloud. Beads of sweat start to form from around his temples as he clears his throat. St. James, I can't. Read it with precision and passion, Ron. Word for fucking word. Fine. God. Totally fucking Mexico Street James. Born sometime in 1849-ish, I think. Died July 18, 1853. Totally fucking Mexico was four. And he didn't get to do a lot of shit. So obviously his resume isn't that impressive. He was well hung, a trait he inherited from his father. Just like his dad, he had trouble keeping his dung inside a cloth diaper as a baby. He loved to eat gold, so it's ironic that he died being dipped in it. Our bitch neighbor Ron did nothing to stop the gruesome attack and let him die. Ron paid the ultimate price for that, believe me. Totally fucking Mexico was survived by his six brothers, mother Loretta and his father slash loving husband slash mentor of young women between the ages of 18 and 25 slash gunfighter slash sexual provocateur St. James Street James a memorial service is scheduled for Saturday at 2 p.m. at the Street James estate it's potluck so bring a dish a real dish don't be the asshole that only brings bread or a fucking condiment Clothing optional for women, BYOB2. Park your carriages wherever. What do you think? I ask him. Um, it's, it's good. Do you have to put the part in there about the bitch neighbor? Yes, it's mandatory. You're lucky I didn't write the part about me fucking your wife in there. Have a nice day, Ron. On the way out, I fake a backhand slap toward Ron just to keep him fearful of me. He cowers like a sniveling bitch. (laughs) I shake my head and grin at him. I want that obit done in a timely manner. Don't spend all day making tiny business suits for your fucking mouse. Mr. Wiggins is a hamster. I slam the door in his face the second I leave. He immediately locks it and slumps to the floor. 
I can hear him sobbering and whispering prayers in Latin. Down the street, I notice Daniel and Curly struggling to load the two heavy caskets into the wagon. Eh, I'm sure they got it. A whore passes by me and whistles as I feel the gold in my leather pouch shake in my jeans. She's a four in the daylight with the highest possible score being a six in extreme darkness after an entire bottle of pick your fucking choice. Normally, I wouldn't even consider her, but I've got some time to burn. She grabs my dick over my jeans, leans in and says, Heard about your kid. I'm really sorry. You need to take a load off? Specifically in my mouth? How much? Quarter ounce of AU. I point to a large piece of plywood on the ground with a decent-sized hole in it. Okay, but grab this plywood, wait two minutes, and then meet me in the back alley. A couple minutes later, she walks back, awkwardly holding the plywood. I stand it upright on the ground and instruct her to kneel behind it on the other side. She looks at me puzzled. Why? It's because I can't bear to look at your face. Fair enough. Surprisingly, she gets where I'm coming from. I unzip my pants, stick my dick through the hole, and fellatio ensues in broad daylights. Side note, there's nothing better than a blowjob from a four. They've always had to overcompensate their whole lives, so they know how to suck a dick. A group of butchers slaughtering a cow stop mid-slice and walk out of their shop to see what's going on. Hey, man, what the hell are you doing? One of them asks. I'm getting my dick sucked through this hole. Why? She's a four. They all nod knowingly. Smart. That makes total sense. Have a good one, one of them says. The hooker stops blowing me for a second and turns around. If you boys want, you can all line up and stick your dicks through the hole. I'll suck off all of you for the same price. It's hard to turn down a cheap beach even from a four. A line quickly begins to form behind me. Look, I've invented a lot of great things in my life, but to this day, I'm still most proud of inventing the first glory hole. I haven't applied for a patent on it, but the patent office said that it would be difficult to enforce since anyone could cut a hole in anything and suck a dick through it. For personal pride, though, I want her on the record that I did indeed invent this. After we all get sucked off, we laugh and share a bottle of whiskey together. At the heart of it, a glory hole is a communal entity that is meant to be enjoyed by a group. Our jovial celebration is cut short by the sounds of gunshots followed by a loud scream. I race around the corner and see a dead clown shot in the chest lying face down on the street in front of my wagon. It's Curly's son. His eyes are closed, but ironically there are open eyes painted on top of his eyelids. It's pretty fucking creepy. The two drunk Schlager brothers from earlier tugging on the coffins trying to rip them out of my covered wagon. I see Daniel lying on top protecting them from being taken. Give us these coffins, boy! We're gonna bury you and your daddy alive! One of them shouts. The other Schlager pulls out a gun and aims it at Daniel. I quick draw my pistols and shoot both of them down in the streets. Pedestrians scramble and run for cover as I run over to Daniel. Moments later... Curly comes running out of the funeral parlor, his face painted like a sad clown with fake tears streaming down his cheeks. He leans down and holds his dead son in his arms, screaming skyward. Why did you have to take him? Why? Suddenly, Daniel's eyes grow wide. 
He pulls out both of his guns and aims them slightly to the sides of my head, firing two shots behind me. I turn to see two more Schlager brothers fall to the street, dead. In the distance, I see the remaining 13 coming out of the whorehouse. Within moments, we're about to be in an all-out street war. Imagine being in the middle of a gunfight against 17 dudes and realizing that your only backup is an almost 8-year-old boy who has just fired a gun for the first time in his life and a 70-year-old man with his face painted like a sad clown. Holy shit, we're fucked. Or so I thought. I'm about to learn firsthand what old man strength is. For you novices, old man strength is something that can't be taught. It's not something you're born with. There is no amount of weight you can lift to achieve it, and it's the only thing in this world that can't be bought. Old man strength is a certain strength that is acquired over a long period of time, typically by men who have seen some hard-ass shit in their day. The pilgrims had it. Men of the Revolutionary War had it. The men of the Gold Rush definitely have it, mixed with a dash of insanity as well. There's nothing to do out here, so you do any fucked-up thing you can think of to fight off the boredom of living in a mostly undeveloped land. Only one thing in this world trumps old man's strength. We'll get to that in a minute. Curly shows me exactly what old man's strength truly is. With the Schlager brothers rapidly approaching, I draw my guns and look over at Curly to warn him of the imminent danger. He nods and shakes his head with a look of rage I have rarely seen in a man's eyes. Kneeling down, he kisses the forehead of his dead clown son. Grab your boy and stand back, he says to me in a deep, guttural voice. With that kind of look in his eyes, I didn't even question him. I grab Daniel out of the back of the wagon and pull him down to the ground. Faster than a goose shits, Curly unhooks my steed from the wagon then grabs a wheel and lifts the entire thing above his head. He flips it over on his side, shielding us from the Schlager brothers' line of fire. That's old man strength, son. That wagon probably weighs 400 pounds and that motherfucker just deadlifts it without even chalking up first. I tell my steed to run for cover as the three of us sit behind the wagon as shots are continuously fired at us. Curly pulls out two sawed-off street howitzers and begins loading shells from his vest pockets. He doesn't even look while he's loading. Instead, he's focused on us. <laughs> I don't even know where the guns were hidden on him. That's how fucking boss he is. Cover me. I'm going out there. You can't go out there alone, Curly. There's too many men, goddammit. They just killed my only son, St. James. I don't have anything else to live for now. Either you're in, or you're out. I look over at Daniel, nod, then say, The Street James boys are in. He nods back appreciatively, then slowly stands up from behind the wagon and walks out into the middle of the streets. The Schlager brothers stop firing for a second and admire the bravado of this man. Also, it's pretty fucking shocking to see a 70-year-old dude painting like a sad clown walking down the street with two loaded shotguns. Curly pulls the hammers back with his thumbs and yells, These are the tears of a clown, motherfuckers! He unloads both shotguns into the chest of two brothers. In unison, Daniel and I stand up and start blasting the shit out of as many brothers as we can. Curly recocks and blows the fuck out of two more as we keep firing. Six brothers are down, but there are eight more left and Curly is out of ammo. Sven steps out into the shadows with a huge smile on his face. 
He pulls a shotgun out of his overcoat and aims it at Curly. Daniel and I try to fire at him, but we're out of bullets too. All we can do is stand there and watch as Sven takes his time cocking his gun. Let's turn that frown upside down, he says. Sven calmly blows Curly away with a shotgun blast to the stomach, which causes him to fly backward out of his boots. No lie, the man is physically blown out of his boots. As I watch his shoeless body fly back in the air, all I keep thinking is what a shitty line that is to die to. The last thing this hardcore SOB dies to is a phrase that was used by a local toy store down the street? Fuck that. Curly deserves better, and I'll be goddamn if I'm going to let him go out like that. I reload as quickly as I can and ask Daniel for his gun so I can reload his as well. Come on out, St. James. I'll tell you what. If you come out peacefully and surrender, we'll just hang you and let your boy go. Hell, for all you've done for this town, we might even name this here road after you. Main Street, James, has a nice ring to it. <laughs> My temp begins to rise. Now he's trying to kill me to a shitty pun as well? Nope, not this guy. Not in this fucking lifetime. Sven fires a shot at me as I try to steal a quick glance over the top of my wagon. I duck at the last second, narrowly avoiding it. As I observe my surroundings, there's only one way out of this and it ain't pretty. I walk out into the street and start firing with both guns blazing, trying to take out as many as I can. Daniel's voice suddenly cries out, I got your back, Dad! Stay there, Daniel! By the time I look back toward him, he's already sprinted out in front of me in the street, blasting both guns. This crazy son of a bitch wasn't kidding. He's using himself as a human shield. We're killing a lot of schlagers, but Daniel is getting lit up faster than a spliff on April 20th at 4.19pm. As a father, it's a hopeless feeling when you realize there's nothing you can do to help your child in a moment like this. At least I bought two caskets, so I'm cool on that front. I scoop up his lifeless body and retreat behind a large wooden post in front of Curly's parlor. Peering out, I see only one schlager still standing, and it's Sven. He fires a shot at me that hits the post and ricochets off into the distance. I lean down and kiss Daniel goodbye in the forehead and look up towards Sven, filled with the same rage Curly had. One-on-one, on one, this man is going to fucking die, so I might as well put on a display of dominance for the entire town. Seven. It looks like it's just you and me now. How about we just settle this out in the middle of the street like gentlemen? That's fine by me. And it's Sven, by the way. You keep throwing an extra E in there. Really? I'm not hearing it. Once I'm finally reloaded, I peek out from behind the post and see him slowly walking out toward the middle of the street where I casually join him. Patrons also start to walk out of businesses and line up to see this epic showdown. Sixteen dead Schlager brothers litter the street, and Sven and I are literally stepping over bodies to get closer to one another. We eventually end up about 20 yards apart before we stop. Staring each other down, both of us put one hand on our guns. I notice a slight twitch in Sven's right index finger. It's evident that he's nervous from everything he's heard about me. I would be too. Time to add water and make my legend grow. I tell you what, you can have the first shot, I say to him. 
The entire crowd that has gathered gasped collectively. Women swoon. Other men's dicks get hard just because they wish they could do shit like this. I tear off my shirt for good measure to get one more set of gas from the ladies in the crowd. Three different women faint. One gets her period. You can't be serious, he says in shock. Only one way to find out. Better make this shot count, Seven. I raise my hands slowly above my head away from my guns, but still flexing my abs. With all eyes fixated on Sven, he quick draws his gun and fires at me. I don't even fucking blink as the shot hits me in the leg. Blood spurts out of my thigh and I begin to laugh. Sven's eyes fill with fear. Oh, shit. Goodbye, Seven. Before Sven can get off another shot, I quick draw my gun on the left side and throw it up high in the air. With Sven's attention diverted to the flight of my spinning gun, I quick draw my right pistol and shoot the spinning gun's trigger, causing it to fire a bullet right through Sven's head. He falls over dead on the ground, staring straight ahead. The entire crowd groans in delight. I blow kisses to the crowd and give a double crotch chop with my hands, playing to my fans, before limping over to pick up my own gun. Out of nowhere, a huge barbarian of a man tackles me from behind, knocking the wind out of me as I hit the dirt. He flips me over on my back and punches me in the face with one of the hardest shots I've ever taken in my entire life. I try to gather my bearings, but I'm immediately rocked again in the face by his other fist. When I try to cover up, I'm hit with two more punches from different arms. What the hell is happening? I squint through my defense and see that this beast has a third arm growing out of his chest. His eyes are off-center and spaced way too far apart. You killed my brothers, he says in a deep, delayed lisp. Oh, fuck. As soon as I hear that voice, panic washes over me. Remember earlier when I said there was only one thing that trumps old man strength? Welcome to retard strength. That's not a euphemism for anything. I'm talking about the strength of a mentally or physically retarded adult male. There is nothing else in this world that compares to their kind of strength. That kind of power is just downright fucking scary. (laughs) God threw them a bone by providing that kind of strength. I'll even go as far as to say that they deserve to be that strong. When you have that much incest going on inside of one family like the Schlagers do, a human mutation is bound to happen, and right now, this three-armed toxic Avenger man-child is locked in. The arm that has grown from his chest is choking me, while his other two hit me in the face with a series of right-left combos. I have no chance of reaching for my gun. Just when I'm about to black out, BANG! A lone gunshot rings out and pierces the heart of the beast. He slumps over face down on top of me. In the distance, I see smoke rising from Daniel's gun. Miraculously, he's somehow still alive. I throw the dead retard off of me and limp over to Daniel. His little body is riddled with bullet holes. As he coughs up blood all over the place, I grab his hands. He tries to smile through clenched teeth as he looks up at me, but he's shaking pretty badly. Did I do good, Dad? You did real good, son. If I'm being picky, you could have killed him a little sooner, though. I took a lot of shots. You did? Look at me! A warm father-son laugh ensues as he coughs up more blood, sensing the inevitable. 
I squeeze his hand as he looks down at his blood-soaked clothes and asks, Am I going to die? No. You're a fucking street, James. It takes more than 63 shots to kill a street, James, do you hear me? He tries to smile and nods his little head. I think I see totally fucking Mexico. It's just an illusion. The way the sun catches his statue, everyone in town can probably see him. You stay with me and keep your eyes open, okay? Daniel tries to keep them open with all of his mites, but they slowly close and his head falls back as I hold him in my arms. I need a fucking doctor! A man in a suit holding a doctor's bag sprints over. I'm a doctor. Oh, thank God. My boy's been shot and I think he's dead. You gotta help me. Looks like you were hit too. He says as he points down at my leg, which is still shooting out blood. Here. Drink this. He pulls out a small brown medicine bottle and I take a swig. Holy shit, this is strong. What's in it? It's a new medicine called laudanum that contains opium. I got it from a Chinese doctor, and no one knows the side effects of it, so go easy. I've already pounded half the bottle before the doctor finishes his sentence. I pick up Daniel and load him into the doc's carriage. As we head off, I look out at the carnage strewn in the street as we ride away. I see Curly's face lying face up, blood covering most of his face paints. Through weary eyes, I see him slowly come to life and pull something out of a bullet wound in his chest. He tries to grin as he proudly holds up a nine of diamonds. Was this the card you picked? He asks in a whisper. No. Sorry, Curly. He nods in disappointment as his head falls back dead on the ground. Truthfully, it is my card, but I hate magic so much that I'm not even willing to give a dying man one more smile. If he was a real magician, he could bring himself back to life right now. Guess who doesn't open his eyes ever again? <laughs> <laughs>